Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. So glad that you have joined with us. We are in the book of 2 Samuel, and we are looking at the life of David. And uh, we are at chapter 20 in 2 Samuel. Let me encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to our Wednesday night Bible study so you can actually read along and get familiar with your Bible where stuff is, and you can kind of read ahead and behind and make sure I'm on track and all that kind of stuff. We always put it up there, but really ought to get in the habit. Bring your Bible with you. Not to make those of you who don't have it tonight feel bad, but let me encourage you. Bring your Bibles. All right, now we're in chapter 20. Now, what's happened here is the big rebellion against King David has been quelled. His son who had come in and uh, brought all this grief into his life, all as a result of his sin, by the way. God told him this would really happen to him. Well, after all this has uh, come and his son had this big rebellion, he had to go running. Well, they finally had this big battle. David, of course, had the time to prepare to win. Hard to beat King David and his guys. They were serious butt kickers. And uh, outnumbered seriously, they still crushed Israel's army and they prevailed. And now the king comes back. And Judah, remember, you pretty much have the north and the south kind of thing going on uh, in, in, in the Jewish world uh, at this time. And really, for a long part of their history, you had Israel, uh, most of the tribes to the north. You had the one big tribe of Judah to the south. Uh, There were two major powerhouses. They were kind of always in conflict with each other. David comes along. They unite the kingdom under King David, bring everything together. And uh, so anyway, they have this big battle. And uh, David prevails, and now he's coming back as king. Judah rallies to bring him across the Jordan and have this big pomp and circumstance. Well, finally, Israel, all the other guys said, well, hey, you know, he's our king too. They got came to meet him and is, uh, Judah had already brought him so far and they got mad at, the, at Judah for doing that and Judah and Israel are yelling at each other and saying he's our king no he's our king why did you, you wait for us oh who cares get over it. you know they're having this big fight and it's kind of very stupid and silly and petty without a doubt but these are a bunch of very stubborn men and they can be very petty and stupid at times I know I are one and uh, so, you know, they got this big fight and the testosterone's flying and finally, you know, rah, rah, so we see now chapter 20, verse 1. One guy, now a, trouble by, a troublemaker by the name of Sheba, son of Bikri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He's a troublemaker. All right, so they're all fighting and they're all mad at each other. I want king. No, I want to be with the king. I come And then he got his feelings hurt. Can't imagine that. And he gets mad. And he sounds the trumpet. And he says, we have no share in David. We have no part in Jesse's son. Jesse was David's dad. And every man to his tent, Israel. Let's go. We're out of here. (laughs) Who needs you? So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. So now he's got another problem. Here they just getting ready to bring everybody back together. They have this big whining match about who invited who, and now come you didn't ask me, and now they split up again. And uh, and Sheba's basically trying to cause another rift. When David returned to his palace uh, in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines. Remember, he left these ten concubines behind. You know, when he went running for his life. Uh, David's son, who was causing this rebellion, comes in and 
one of his first acts when he shows up is to have sex with all the concubines in, in plain view of everybody so they could see what he was doing. It was a huge insult to his father. I mean, you don't get much more of an insult to that. Again, part of the prophecy, the prophet said to David, he said, you sin sexually in, in secret. He says, well, it's going to come against you publicly. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Uh, so anyway, he comes and he, he gets and he takes the ten concubines and he had that he had left to take care of the palace, and he put them in a house under guard, and he provided for them, he took care of them, but he did not lie with them. No more sex with these ten, why? Because it was too creepy, because then his son had already been with them. Uh, and they were kept in confinement until the day of their death, living as widows. They're really the big losers in the deal. But he did take care of them and stuff, just they weren't considered part of the fam, if you will, anymore. Uh, then the king says, said to Amasa, this uh, guy who wasn't really... Um, one of the big, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, generals, you know, what he, what he had was Abishai and, and Joab, who were brothers, and then some other guy, like the major generals. But, uh, you know, Joab's really kind of being obnoxious, and as, as we read last time, kind of a little out of there. But anyway, so he says to Amasa, he says, summon the men of Judah to come to me within three days and be here yourself. So he sends Amasa out, you, got, you go out there, Amasa, you go get there and see if you can summon this big army. But when Amasa went to summon Judah, he took longer than the time the king had set for him. So for some reason, we don't know why he delays showing up with the guys from Judah. And, you know, either he wasn't very organized or the, the people in Judah, you know, delayed for whatever reason. We don't know. So anyway, David says to Abishai, who's the brother of Joab, these two butt kicking generals uh, that work for David says, all right, well, listen, we got a problem. Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom did. He's going to create another problem. We're going to have another big rebellion. So take your master's men and pursue him, or he will find fortified cities and escape from us. So Joab's men and the Carathites and the Pelathites and all the mighty warriors went out under the command of Abishai, and they marched out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Well, while they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasa finally shows up. And he comes in and says, hey guys, what's happening? What's up? What's happening? Good to see you. And, uh, well, Joab, at this point, he's highly irritated. Because who is Amasa and why did the king send him to get there in the first place? And these guys had very serious egos and you cannot challenge that. So at some level, Joab felt insulted that David had initially turned to Amasa Instead of those guys, he eventually turns to those guys. They're out there. Now Amasa shows up. Well, Joab hates his guts. Okay. So what happens is, you know, Joab had issues. <laughs> he, was a, he was an amazing general, by the way. These, this small army of Davids, given the time to get their act together, they were invincible. Nobody could beat these guys. They were, it's really, it's really incredible to read. Um, and we're going to read more about some of the specific things that these guys had done. Truly some of the most amazing fighting men in the history of mankind were in this army of Davids. But Joah has had some real issues. Anyway, uh, so when they, Amasa comes up, say, hey guys, what's up? Joab was wearing his military tunic uh, and strapped over it at his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. As he stepped forward, it dropped out of his sheath. In other words, he had this kind of rigged deal. When it would step forward, the, the dagger would fall out and he'd catch it and then he'd be armed. Okay, so that's what's happening. So he steps up to 
Amasa, and he triggers this thing, and this weapon falls into his hand. But Joab, Amasa doesn't see it. And Joab says to Amasa, hey, brother, what's up? What's up, my man? Good to see you. Give me five. And he took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, which was the tradition, you know, not on the lips, just, you know, cheek to cheek kind of thing. So he gets him by the beard coming forward. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand. And Joab plunges it into his belly and rips across his guts and his intestines spill out onto the ground. Serious issues this guy's got. All right. If you don't like me, just say, I don't like you. (laughs) Don't stab me and rip my guts out. All right, so this guy, that's what he does. And then it says, uh, specifically, without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Now, this this is a brutal thing that what he's done. In other words, (laughs) he just rips open his guts, his intestines fill out, the guy collapses, uh, but he doesn't stab him again. In other words, he dies a slow painful, miserable death, which is quite horrid, you know. The truth of the matter is, you can be shot, stabbed, all kinds of stuff, and not die for a very long time. You see in the movies where bang, bang, oh, the guy falls over dead. That usually doesn't happen, unless you hit a direct artery or something like that. And of course, they train people, police officers, when you shoot, shoot to kill. Why? Because you can shoot people, all kinds of holes, and they'll still come at you. It's just the reality of it. I mean, they had this problem early on in warfare. They finally had to get weapons so that when it hit a guy, it just blew him to bits and rip, up, rip him to shreds. Because in war, their adrenaline's pumping and stuff like You could shoot a big guy three, four, five, six times. He'll come over and stab half of you to death and then finally die. He doesn't even know he's dead yet. I mean, uh, I was watching a documentary on TV the other night. This lady had been shot in the head and in the shoulder, in the gut, and lay there for three days before someone found her. And she lived. Obviously, that's how she was telling the story. And, uh, but anyways, it's quite brutal. So rather than just, you know, take and kill him quickly, which they knew how to do. These guys were efficient killers, I promise you. He intentionally cuts him in a way that doesn't kill him and just lets him drop. And again, what is your problem? So anyway, there he was. Joab and his brother Abishai then pursues Sheba, son of Bikri. So they're going on, finishing the uh, job at hand. Now one of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever's for David, let him follow Joab. If you were for Joab, forget this guy. Let's go. So Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road. And the man saw all the troops came to a halt there. And... (laughs) In other words, so all these guys are marching forward. And then, of course, you know, they're, they're huge, thousands of men in these campaigns and stuff. And they're coming along, and all of a sudden, they stop, and here's this guy, you know, which was the top guy of David's, lying there with his guts out, slowly bleeding to death. And they all stopped and went, ew. And uh, so everyone was kind of freaking out what had just happened. When the guy realized that everyone who came up to Amasa stopped... Then he dragged him from the road into a field and threw a garment over him. And after Amasa had been removed from the road, then all the men went on with Joab to pursue him, Sheba, son of Bichri. So all they cared about was, this guy slowly bleeding to death is slowing things up. Oh, you rats, kill him already! You know, so they drag him out of the thing, cover him with a tunic so he can slowly die off in the corner by himself. Very, very, very brutal. Anyway, so Sheba passed 
uh, through all the tribes of Israel. This is the guy running that he, who said, you know, ah, tell David to stick it. Everybody come out. We don't need these people. And is threatening a rebellion. So they're chasing after this guy. And he passes through all the tribes of Israel to Abel Beth Makkah and through the entire region of the Barites who gathered together and followed him. So he's getting a following behind him. Now all the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba in Abel Beth Makkah. Uh, they built a siege ramp up to the city and it stood against the outer fortifications. And while they were battering the wall to bring it down, I mean, this is just classic warfare. I mean, these guys are going at the ramps up and they're battering the thing and launching big rocks against it and stuff. A wise woman from the city uh, calls down. She says, listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so I can speak to him. And so Joab uh, responds. So everybody stops and he comes forward and says, Who? she says, are you Joab? He says, I am. And she said, listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued, long ago, they used to say, get your answer at Abel. And that settled it. Uh, it's just a, a simple answer, you know. They were peaceful people, you know, just... If you're going to have a big fight, no, I'm just going to get your answer at Abel, whatever that meant. That was just a saying. He says, we are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You are trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? We are a peaceful people. You guys all know our saying. We're just, we're nice people. What are you doing to us? And Joab says, well, far be it from me. Far be it from me to swallow up or destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man and I will withdraw from the city. Well, the woman said, his head will be thrown to you from the wall. (laughs) These people had real issues, I'm telling you. Well, when the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, said, you know why this is happening to us? I'm freaking out. Why are you attacking? You're vomiting the wall. We're trying to defend ourselves. They're going to kill us all. It's because of this guy, Sheba, who's hanging out here. Well, when they found out, they got Sheba, they cut off his head, and they threw it out to Joseph, Joab, so they could play soccer or something. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> so he sounded the trumpet, and all his men dispersed from the city, and each returned to his home, and Joab went back to the king in, in Jerusalem. And Joab was over Israel's entire army. <laughs> yeah, after he killed the other guy. Uh, Benaniah, son of Joida, was over the Ketherites, and so and so was over the Rites, and the other was the rights of the otherites. Anyway, so, I don't care. That's what that says. Then chapter 21 is a little uh, strange chapter. Um, I don't really want to read this whole thing, but uh, uh, let me just read the first chapter uh, verses here. It says, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So obviously, he's back to king. Things have calmed down. Now all of a sudden, they're having this famine And so David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, The reason this famine is happening is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. So now you've got to rewind the story. Apparently, now God was dealing with the nation and punishing the nation because of a sin that Saul had done way back over here. Okay? Why? I don't know. All I do know is that sometimes... God will deal with stuff when he feels like dealing with stuff. And uh, it's shocking sometimes. People will do things and they think it's no big deal and they forgot about it. And it can be quite a while later and all of a sudden God will start dealing with them about it. I've seen this in people's lives. You know, a year or two or three or five, six years ago, some lying, cheating, miserable thing that they totally forgotten about. And all of a sudden God will start dealing with them. And, ow, 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 and their conscience starts bothering them. They really start struggling. 
and they need to make it right. And it messes with their heads because they think, well, you know, gee, you know, everything's cool. We forgot about it. You know, ah, 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 ah. you know, time. God doesn't look at time like we do. You know, we're very linear. God is not linear. Uh, he can jump around however he wants. And if God starts dealing with you about something, best to listen to the dealing of the Holy Spirit. Just don't blow it off because it's been a while. Somebody say amen. All right, so that's the point. And they have some bizarre thing here where they kill a bunch of people to get stuff right. Seriously into killing. Then uh, second half of this chapter just talks about some wars they had against the Philistines and whatnot. Uh, chapter 22, the next chapter now, is David starts singing to the Lord. David is a psalmist and a singer and is known as a singer. He wrote the, the bulk of the book of Psalms that you read. It's interesting now, after, re, after hearing this story and reading this together, to go and read some of the Psalms now. Because now it really starts to come alive to you. You start noticing stuff you didn't notice before. You start seeing when he's crying out how evil men are against me. And before you're kind of like, what is he talking about? Well, now you know. I mean, he had a rough time as he's trying to serve God and Saul's trying to kill him and everything's going nuts. And uh, times he had, you know, times he sinned against God and all this judgment and terror in his house and all the stuff that happened. Now you know the rest of the story. So anyway, there's this kind of big psalm in the middle of uh, the book of Sam, 2 Samuel. You can certainly read that uh, on your own time. Uh, great stuff. Uh, chapter 23, um, then we have, it says here, these are the last words of David. Uh, now, why they're throwing this here, I don't know. Every once in a while, we've seen this in the Old Testament. They will take something just kind of chronologically out of place and just eh, stick it in your face. And then you see later, well, wait a minute, that wasn't quite in the order that happened. Because David is not ready to die yet. David still has some things to say. and we will. He's getting toward the end of dying. But for some reason, at this point, they give you the last words of David. Uh, they're not very long. Let's read it together out of respect for this incredible king. These are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by, uh, by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. And then he just got a couple of little verses here. This is apparently his final psalm that he sang. And he sings, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel, by the way, he was aware that oftentimes when he was singing the Psalms, it wasn't just him, but it was the Spirit of God flowing through him. There's even prophetic things in the book of Psalms that you can read. Jesus even talked about how when David wrote this, he was prophesying about me or prophesying about this like that. How could he do that? Because he was, it was the Spirit of God that was on him when he was writing. That's why these words are so powerful to this day. It's the Spirit of God even speaking through him. And he acknowledges this at the end. He says, the God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Is not my house right with God? He is not made, has he not made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? So he basically is talking about how he served God as a righteous king. God has blessed him. And then in contrast to this, he says, but evil men are to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. In other words, you don't deal with thorns except to protect yourself. Uh, you know, and the same thing can be said of people that are evil around us. Kind of a strong word, evil, but there's people that... You know, they're not right and they have pretty evil hearts and they're doing wrong things. And you can't hide or live in a world where you're just surrounded by 
cute people like me. Okay? We're all going to be surrounded by people who don't love God or don't believe God, stuff like that. Uh, you can't help with that, but don't get very close to these people. Use a tool when dealing with thorns. Protect yourself. Be on your guard. Be careful. Be smart. Uh, let's not be foolish. So anyway, so that's it. Those are his final words, but we will hear more from David here because we're not done with David yet. Now, I love this next thing. Now they stop and they start talking about some of these incredible warriors that uh, fought with David. There were three guys. They were the big three. They were like the three musketeers. All right? David had the three musketeers. Okay? When, uh, in that day, again, David's army, again, invincible. A small group of guys that were like a ball of hot iron. Nobody could stop these guys. They were brave men. They feared nothing. And they, they fought valiantly. God was with them, blessed them. I mean, incredible men. And among this group of incredible men, there was known as the three. There's the three. All right. It's like on the west side, we have the three. Ross and Phil and Bob, the three. All right. All right. So, and, and then we've got the one who was over the three. That would be me. But even still, he wasn't as cool as the three. And then we got some others that were cool, but not cool enough to be over the three, but not part of the three, but they're still pretty kind of cool. Anyway, so they break down and they start telling us about some of these serious butt-kicking men. I love this. This is manly man stuff right here. Now, these are the names of David's mighty men. Joshib Bashemeth, a Tekmanite, whatever, uh, was chief of the three. All right, in caps. It says three in caps. I love this. They all knew who the three were. And they talked about this Jashub. He was a serious butt kicker. One time he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. 800 men! I'd freak if there were eight! I'd be running the other direction going, Ah! There's eight of them! This man with a single spear takes on 800 men. Now, this is, they don't have guns. Okay, this is mano y mano. Hand to hand combat. One guy took out 800 dudes. This is a butt kicking man. All right? Just the courage to sit and face 800 men. Anybody with any sense would have run for their lives. That's the kind of warrior Joshab Beshebeth was. He was chief of the three. Next to him, I guess that would be number two, was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ehoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David that one time when they taunted the Philistines gathered at the pass Damin for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. So here's the picture. David and all his men are out there. You, you remember this when they were egging on the Philistines and stuff like that. So they're going, la, 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 you're ugly. La, la, la. Okay, they're egging them on. And then the Philistines all come charging. David and all the guys are going, la, la, la. They run. They were part of the Pastor Mark Brigade. All right. <laughs> they got the heck out of Dodge. You know what I'm saying? Ah! Here they go. So they go running. 
except for one of the three. He stood his ground and he kills them all. He fought so long that his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. They couldn't peel his hand off later. I mean, that's, I mean, holy cow. This, I do hope they have instant replay in heaven. You know, a gigantic TiVo or something. You know, and beep, I want to watch this. I would love to see this stuff. One guy, every, now check it out. David, the mighty king, the great leader, he's running for his life. All the other manly men are all going, ah! Except for Eleazar. He said, I ain't going nowhere. And single-handedly faced all these men and killed them all. By the time he got done, they couldn't even get his hand off of the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. (laughs) Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for showing up now. You know, they all came back. How you doing? I see everybody's dead. Great. Let's take some of the grub. You know, that's all that happened there. And next to him was Shema. So we got Jashub, Eleazar, and Shema, the three. Now, Shema is the son of Edgy, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled for them. Again, the same deal. Everybody runs. David's mighty men run. Now, these are brave men, okay? These are seriously brave men. When these guys look at each other and say, it's time to run, you really ought to run. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is like... They weren't girly men. This, the, uh, there's no way. The odds are overwhelming. It's time to split. So again, these guys all run, except for one of the three. Shama took his stand in the middle of the field. And he defended it. And he kills all these Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. These were just three. These were the three. The strongest, bravest of the bunch. Now I want you to stop and think about something. Oftentimes in uh, Western culture, we think authority is based not on what you do, or, or not on what, who you are, but what you do. In other words, the more you do, the more involved you are, the more successful you are, the better you are at yourself, the higher you should be lifted up the, the ladder of authority, right? This is the way we think. We don't like the ideas of, of kings and stuff, you know, people who are just in charge because of who they are. If there's anybody you can't stand at work, it's the guy who gets a job just because he's related to the boss, okay? I mean, everybody, because that's the, we don't like that in this country, right? Whereas you gotta earn it, you gotta earn it, you gotta earn it. But you have to understand something about spiritual authority, that why we struggle with so much with spiritual authority, is that true spiritual authority is more like this. It's not based on what you do, it's based on who you are. Now, David is running. For his life. This other guy stays. He fights. He makes a great victory. If they'd have been like people of today. We'd say well. Let's make this guy king. Well, Let's make Shammah king. Or what are these guys names. Let's, come on look what they did. David was running. He's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes off. This guy stayed. He fought. He fought with a sword. The other guy. 800 men with a single. Let's make him king. But it doesn't make them king. You see. And if you understand, and, and, and people who are in authority, you should never be 
paranoid or afraid, particularly in spiritual authority. Don't be paranoid or afraid when others succeed around you. If anything, I want to see people under me succeed greater and do greater things than me and get more credit than me. You know, that's what that would be great. I mean, I love it when our guys are working as hard as they do and, and connecting. As, you know, I'm not walking around paranoid all the time. The people who spend the most time really getting to know you are the campus pastors. The Lathans, the Bobs, the Rosses, the, you know, everybody. Rod, all these different people. Pastor Gary and stuff. They're the ones who really spend time with you. I don't walk around all freaked out. Oh man, they like them better than me. Oh, they like them. You know, I, I need to spend more time with these people because I'm afraid. I got I to gotta say, no, no, no. Who cares? It's not about that. I want to see these guys succeed highly. I want you to fall in love with all of them and tolerate me. <laughs> these are guys who do great things and they did things even bigger and better and more impressive than the king that they served. But it never made them king. You see. Andrew, we talk for an hour just on that alone. So, so now check this out. So during, <laughs> they tell this cool story. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men. So we had all these guys. Then you got the 30 who were the Ho Chi Mama 30. And then you got the three who were the manly men of the 30 over everybody. All right. So the three of the 30 chief men came down to David when he was at the cave of Adullam. While, the, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And at that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. The Philistines had, you know, occupied Bethlehem as hometown and stuff. And David was thirsty, he longed for water, and he said, Oh, man, I, wouldn't it be great if someone could just give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem? Now, he's just sighing. He's just, ah, wouldn't it be great? You know, he's just talking. He wasn't commanding anybody anything. He was just talking. Wouldn't it be fabulous if I could have a... Man, I wish I could get a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. Well, these three guys overhear him. So what they do is the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate, and carried it back to David. Now, these are serious three butt-kicking dudes. Now stop and think. There's this big line of Philistines. Three guys break through the line with a bucket. And they go taking off. The Philistines are like, what was that? I don't know. Three guys with a bucket. <laughs> so they go and they fill the bucket with water. And they come back. And I'm assuming they didn't just let them pass again. So they had to fight their way through. Now this time they're holding a bucket. And they take off again. They're like, what was that? Same guy with the buckets. So they risk their very lives doing an incredibly heroic feat just because the king had whispered, man, I wish I could have a drink of water from Bethlehem's well. We are talking some serious dudes here. These were men of men, leaders of men, men who feared nothing and who loved their king passionately. Wow. I just hope you don't eat me for lunch when you go to, after church. You know, you know what I'm talking about? 
Christians that go to church and they eat food and talk about the pastor. <laughs> Stupid pastor, what an idiot. <laughs> You'd never do that. Anyway, so... The through might have broke through, wow, and they carried it back to David. But then David refused to drink it. And I got to tell you, if I had just risked my butt to get you a drink of water, you better drink the water. Instead, he pours it on the ground. Are you insane? I just fought with a bucket in my hand. But what a heart David had. Oh, check out. Why did he do that? He refused to drink it. He put it on the ground before the Lord. He said, far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. It is, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of other lives? And David would not drink it. And I have to understand something about David. This is a man who has character in him. Despite his sin with Bathsheba. This is a man of great character. He blew it. He made a mistake. He admitted it. He paid the price for it. But overwhelmingly, this is a man that God said, I love this guy. This is a man after my own heart. He was filled with character. We're about to read. We probably won't get to it tonight. We're about to read how David refused to even sacrifice something to God that didn't didn't cost him anything. If it was free... Someone, he wanted to sacrifice to God. Somebody came and said, here, take my, my bulls and stuff and you can sacrifice to God. He refused, no way. And he says, I will not offer something to God that cost me nothing. He knew that this water had great value because of the blood, sweat, and tears of these courageous men. And he said, there's no way I would drink of something like that that cost me Nothing. I want you to think about this a little bit. I want to challenge you. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I've had a chorus of people tell me how bad they feel. Because I'm talking about money. Just chill out. Check your medication. (laughs) Good grief. But what we have today is the complete opposite. People are comfortable drinking from the well that costs them nothing. They think nothing of coming into a place like this this didn't happen one day. This, this wasn't a matter of evolution. You know, the rock shook for millions of years and all of a sudden one rock fell on top of another and some sand got hot and melted and turned into light bulbs and, and wires came in. You know, that's, that, it all can happen, of course. It all can happen. Millions of years. Millions of years. Highly intelligent idea, this evolution thing. Millions of years. All this has happened. It's not what happened. This is here for a reason. People sacrificed. Blood, sweat, tears, wealth, energy. What you're seeing here is somebody's new boat. And over there is someone's nice new set of clothes. And Wow, look at this, man. That that could have been a nice car. That could have been a nice car. That big screen would have made such a nice car. And those lights, those lights, man, I could, I could some, that's, a, that's a big screen TV there. And, and that's some neat stuff for my kids. And, that, and that's, that, this costs people something. Don't freak out when I or anybody else challenges you to give into the kingdom of God. I was trying to kill you 
dear God in heaven. But don't just take the bucket and just go, yeah, praise God. Praise God. You killed yourself and get that. Thanks. Get away from me. Let's stop that, shall we? How about we be like David, who wouldn't even begin to think, man, I'm not partaking of this unless I make this something that cost me something. Obviously, I may not have the resources of some in this place, but I can still do something. Have the heart of King David that says, I'm going to do something. Don't be the kind of people who freely belly up to the bar. Take advantage of the blood, sweat, and tears of everyone else. And I get it when you're a young Christian and you're first growing. And I, I get all that. You don't even understand a lot of that. That's fine. But people who have been saved for 10, 15, 20 years. Who contribute little to nothing. Who are offended that the pastor would even suggest that we have to come up with some kind of an offering. What a horrible, horrible thing. And freely just take the bucket and just drink. Let's not be like those kinds of people. Let's be the kind of people that would say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just take advantage. I'm not going to sit here and let other people sacrifice so I can be blessed every Sunday and I do nothing. I'm not just going to sit and be happy that I don't have to, you know, thank God somebody's watching my kids for an hour and a half. I get rid of them for long enough, you know. How about you volunteer to go watch the kids? For an hour and a half. You know, for one week, maybe just a month out of the year, one month out of 12 won't kill you. But again, there's this mentality today where, oh, just hand me the bucket. Hand me the bucket. I, find, I don't want to really do anything. I don't want to give any money. I, don't want to, I like sitting in these nice chairs and I like listening to the cool band and the, the wacko preacher and all. It's very cool, very nice. I really like this church. It meets my personal needs very well. Thank you. Hand me another bucket. How about, no, 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 no. I'd like a drink from the bucket, but how about I do something that helps get the water that I give financially, that I donate my time, that I'm involved in ministry. I'm doing... My intestines spill out upon the ground. There, do you feel bad now? <laughs> yes, don't say yeah. Oh my gosh, let's have hearts like this. Let's not be bucket suckers. Are you involved in the kingdom? Do you sacrifice for the kingdom? Do you give to the kingdom? Or are you a bucket sucker? <laughs> Should put a sign out there. No bucket suckers. <laughs> People have no idea what we're talking about. This is the weirdest church. They come up with the strangest. I don't know what these signs even mean. Stop being a bucket sucker. What's that mean? <laughs> Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. Then Abishai, the brother of Joab, he was quite the butt kicker. He was the other general. He was chief of the three. He was in charge of the three. He wasn't one of the three, but he was in charge of the three. He raised his spear one time against 300 men whom he killed. So he became as famous as the three 
Was he not held in great, greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though technically he wasn't part of the three. <laughs> I don't know why they tell us this stuff. Then Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Wow. He also struck down a big fat Egyptian. Got a different translation than you. Walk like an Egyptian. Dun, 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 dun. So he crawls down and he kills that guy. He's a bear killer, or a lion killer, Egyptian killer, Moabber killer. And although, although this big, huge Egyptian guy had a spear in his hand, Benaiah goes against him with a club. Again, these guys fear no one. They're like little chihuahuas. They're the freakiest dogs, aren't they? <laughs> I'm on this chihuahua kick lately. Chihuahua! They think they're big dogs. They freak you out. So here's this great big dog. Give me out with a big long spear. This other cat comes up just with a club coming right at him. So what he does is he goes up to the guy and he snatches the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and kills him with his own spear. That's a bad day for you. Don't kill me with my own spear. That's embarrassing. Pulls her out of his hand. Such were the exploits of Beniah, son of Joida. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he wasn't included as part of the three. <laughs> and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Well, then he says, among the 30 were, and then you can read these names on your own free time. There's a whole list of all kinds of weird sounding people who there were 37 of them all. So you got the 30, then you got the three, and then you got the one guy over the three and all these. So anyway, these were serious, incredible, bold, fearless men who was led by an incredible young man by the name of David who did amazing things at times. These guys did more amazing things than the king himself. But they loved the king. And it wasn't a contest. Although I'm sure there was some competition. Everybody wanted to be like one of the three, I'm sure. You know, or men. Hombres, I want to be like the three. They worked together. They were a unit together. Some were glorious in their accomplishments. Some did mighty things. Others, we just get their names that I don't feel like reading. And that was the 30, and there's a whole bunch that didn't even get their names listed. But together, together, these men joined together, and they were unstoppable. Wow. Reminds me of that, say, I can't remember who said it. Some man said, give me, give me 100 men who fear nothing, and I'll change the world. Give me 100 men who aren't afraid, who will give it all. And I'll change, what a great friend. I can't remember who was that said that. But that's the power of joining. That should be the power of the church. 
The church isn't about just a bunch of mindless sheep being told by some obnoxious guy in front how to think, act, and behave. The power of the church is when everybody joins together, regardless of income, regardless of color, regardless of background, regardless of education. And we join together, hand in hand, arm in arm, as one unit. That's what changed the world. I love it in the book of Acts, when Christians started going everywhere. One of the phrases, when they came into a new, new city, they said, Holy cow, those people who turned the world upside down have come here too. They were unstoppable. They were unstoppable. We read about Paul and stuff like that, but for the most part, they didn't know who the leaders were. All they knew is they moved as one totally dedicated, totally passionate, fearless group of men, women, and children who in the space of a handful of years, they changed the world. The early Christians. They changed the world. What an incredible feat. They brought down the greatest empire in the history of mankind up to that point. The Roman Empire brought it to its knees without firing a single shot, without holding a sword in their hands. They brought it down. How? All these people who loved God and they loved each other, they sacrificed for one another. They gave to one another. They were committed to one another. And they changed the world. Wow. Let us be like that. Let it be said of these people up at this church. You know, they might be a weird bunch of people. They might have the strangest whacked out pastor I've ever seen in my life. They might, you know, who knows what they say. But let them say there's one thing about those guys is they are real and they take this seriously. They really love each other. And it's a powerful force. And I'm absolutely convinced if we could ever just get this together as a family of faith, that we can move forward even though we might irritate one another. Even though someone might say something that hurts our feelings. And it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're part of a family. Even the people we can't stand. Come on. Let's face it. There are people in this room who may not be able to stand one another because they just irritate the snot out of each other. I'm good with that. You sit there, you sit there. I'm happy with that. Don't get on each other's nerves. I'm cool with that. But at the end of the day, you still got to love each other. You still got to be there for each other. You still got to be able to say, hey, if he's hurting, I'm going to help him out. He irritates the snot out of me, but I got to help him out. He's my brother, see. You all got brothers and sisters. You know what I'm talking about? Don't you have brothers and sisters? Don't you have to... The fun of being a brother and sister is beating the snot out of the other brothers and sisters. My brother, Eddie... <laughs> we used to torment him on a regular basis we did stuff to him I cannot even tell you about because I am a man of God now and I cannot repeat those things we tormented the little twerp but don't you dare say anything about him don't you dare insult my brother them's fighting words why he's a nitwit but he's my nitwit because we're a family. 
Everybody say family. family. We need to be a family of faith. Hallelujah. You say, well, we're not blood. Yes, we are. We're washing the blood of the Lamb. That kind of blood is stronger than normal family if we really get this in our hearts and minds. I am done for the evening. Let's have our ushers and stuff come forward to take the offering for the evening. And our musicians can come back up. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your blessings, your grace, your kindness in our lives. Help us, Lord, to have the kind of heart that David had. Lord, it's not very likely they will ever write about us in the Bible. But help us to learn from the Bible, to be the kind of men and women who have the character of being within us. Not to be people who just freely drink from the efforts of others, but who willingly say, I'll do my part. Might be big, might be little, doesn't matter, but I, I will not, I will not, I will not do nothing. Help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to be a family, hand in hand, committed to one another and to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.